0: Stand Up With The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpWithTheTruth.com slash donate.
1: Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Happy July. Can you believe it? We're almost halfway through the year exactly, but uh, um, big program today. We are just going to focus on news and current events for maybe five or ten minutes. I'm I'm guessing, but we are going to talk about what made America great, and you're going to get a little preview of tomorrow's pastor's point of view with Dr. Andy Woods and James McGowan. And uh, let me open up in prayer before we get going. Father, thank you for this nation. Thank you for allowing us to be living during this time. We know that you have us here for such a time as this, and if we are saved, if we are born again, you have a purpose for our lives, and we ask that you give us wisdom. Direct our steps, O God. May we acknowledge you in all of our ways. And Father, help us to understand the times and know how to respond and not be overwhelmed, but to overcome evil with good. Show us how to do that. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the truth. And thank you, God, that you are our stability in these very unstable times nationally and worldwide. But we love you and we praise you for what you are doing in the realm of the Spirit. We lift up this time to you. And we ask that you'd bless it, encourage people's hearts, give us just the information that we need, the, the challenge that we need to get deeper in your word, and to discern, to test all things. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so blessed to have Dr. Andy Woods back with us, author, pastor, teacher, Sugarland Bible Church in Texas, president of Schaefer Theological Seminary, founder of Andy Woods Ministries. I love his books um, The Coming Kingdom, The Falling Away, Ever Reforming and the Middle East Meltdown, just to mention a handful of them. So let's uh, dive right into it today. Welcome, Andy Woods, back to Stand Up for the Truth.
2: David, it's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you for uh, allowing this to be a program where, after the first five or ten minutes, we can get away from some of the news and some of the garbage and some of the the nonstop, um, just cultural chaos that we're seeing, in the, in the, whether that's government or the schools or or what's happening in our culture, but getting back to the roots of a biblical foundation and what made this country great to begin with. I thank you for suggesting this topic today. But first, uh, you can add to this short list, uh, July 1st, not halfway through the year, Pride Month is over, but Pride season continues. Uh, For the first time in the pageant's history, the title of Miss Nevada USA has been won by a transgender woman, also known as a biological male, Record number of LGBTQ characters in TV shows and movies and the powerful lobby has now strong-armed corporations to join the parade. U.S. gas prices surged to highest level in seven years. Anti-Semitism on the rise nationally and worldwide. CNN celebrated a 100-year anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. That's interesting. Newsmax beats out Fox, MSNBC, and CNN during recent uh, Trump rally in Ohio. A transgender Olympic athlete will compete in the games. Another activist athlete turns her back on the national anthem. From, she's from America, by the way. NFL releases a new football is gay ad with the NFL logo and rainbow colors. Critical race theories being shoved down the throats of children. Southern border crisis is continuing to amplify as the O'Biden-Harris administration and the Democrat media ignore the truth. And finally, not that this is the—I mean, we could go on and on, but ignoring science, Los Angeles County— is now urging unvaccinated and vaccinated people to put on masks again inside restaurants, stores, and other public indoor spaces as they fear the Delta variant of COVID. Dr. Andy Woods, would you like to add to or comment on any of these headlines and just talk some, I don't know, give us some insight into your thoughts on what's happening? Because <laughs> this seems like a lot.
2: Yes, that's quite a lot to comment on. You know, I I guess I guess I could just sum it up this way, you know, and, and say this. Uh this is exactly what the Lord said the world would be like mm. you know, just Amen. before he came. I'm I'm reminded of what he said in Matthew twenty four, uh, that, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, you know, so shall it be. And, you know, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day Noah uh, entered the ark, and then the flood came and took them all away. Mm. And if folks will go back and study Genesis 6, uh, you'll see the same kinds of things happening. I mean, they were experimenting with uh, genetics, I believe. I think that's the sons of God, and the daughters of men there, and the mm, Nephilim. Interesting. Um, there was uh, all kinds of taking God's sexual standards, going back to Eden, Genesis 2 verse 24, one man for one woman, for one life, and they were pushing the envelope on that, and they did it all this stuff for about a hundred and twenty years, and God's Spirit was striving, just like God's Spirit is striving with man today. But, you know, you get to a point where you exhaust even the grace of God. And God says in that chapter, my spirit will not strive with man forever, you know, for he Mm -hmm. is mortal. His days shall be 120 years. And so that's sort of where we are. Um, Humanity is pushing the envelope in every possible direction. And yet God is striving with man, trying to convict people of uh, their need to trust Christ for salvation. But judgment is just like Before the flood, judgment is on the horizon, and so we need to warn as many people as possible.
1: Um, I'm going to put in a plug for your book, *The Coming Kingdom*, which um, I'm sure talks a little bit about that. And thank you for bringing up Matthew 24, Mark 13—very relevant passages of Scripture um, that we really need to look into. Days of Noah. Not only was there great sin, as we're seeing in America and around the world today. But it's also this idea that, that people were just living in the routine, the mundane matters of life and ignoring God's warnings in the times. And, and uh, um, boy, are we seeing that today. But nonetheless, um, Andy, we are here those of us who are listening in America, we have listeners from from Canada and I think a few from other countries. But the primary, primary audience here for Stand Up For The Truth is in the United States, and America is still the best, most free nation. Most of us would say it's an exceptional nation, and we we don't make any apology for saying that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, your suggestion was wonderful b- because the 4th of July is just a few days away, and even the celebrations of that are, are going, wow, are... <laughs> You're just looking at what people are doing and, and disrespecting the flag and saying it's a racist um flag. You're going, wait a minute, you forget completely what it stands for and what our history is. So we're gonna talk about what the principles that made America great. Andy, where would you like to start?
2: Well, you know, I, I usually like to start with Proverbs fourteen verse thirty four you know, which says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And it's very interesting, it doesn't say, you know, having the right tax code (laughs) exalts (laughs) a nation. Yes. Uh, You know, all the things that we're, we're focused on, you know, it doesn't talk about the capital gains tax, it doesn't talk about, you know, all these sort of public policy things. It basically says righteousness exalts a nation. And I'm not here to portray America as a perfect country from its roots, you know, there is no such thing. But the truth of the matter is there isn't a a country uh, other than maybe the theocracy of Israel herself, and they they didn't do so great with it if you read your Old Testament. (laughs) But there isn't a country probably in the history of the world where Christianity has not penetrated more than our current country. Mm -hmm. And I think Every single blessing that we have in this country is attributable to that. And if we don't get back to that standard, and it looks like we're moving the wrong direction, yes. then we can't expect the blessings of God, you know, to continue to follow us cuz God has promised to bless his truth. Amen. He hasn't promised to bless a man a method or a movement, but he has promised to bless his truth. Wherever his general principles are honored, God blesses. And I think that's the source of, you know, we talk a lot today about make America great again. We've got to, f- at some time, at some point, figure out what made us great to begin with, and it has to do with the Bible and Christianity.
1: This is so simple and yet so very profound and important because, as you said, of the state the immoral state of the country and the confusion, um, the moral relativism on steroids that's in our culture that we're seeing. The, the, really, Romans 1, you said the days of Noah. Yes, and we can also point to Romans 1, a depraved mind. God gave them over, and men are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. So the question, Andy, uh, how do we get to the point in America where at least one generation, if not more, have grown up through the public school system, hearing the media, watching the propaganda on on television, movies and everything else, Hollywood, how did they grow up believing the lies that this country is basically evil and was founded by evil men? And therefore, that's not it, though. They believe that and they've been programmed. Now the result is they must therefore dismantle or be a part of dismantling or deconstructing America from the Constitution to capitalism to our religious freedoms. So, how did we get to this point?
2: Well, I think you have the answer to that in Judges chapter two. You know, the mm. the Judges generation followed one of the greatest generations in Israel's history, the Joshua yes. generation, and it tells you in Judges two that there arose a generation, you know, that did not know the Lord or they did not know the things that the Lord had done for Israel. Mm. So they didn't uh, understand the conquest, the the passing through there of the Jordan. They didn't understand what God had done in the generation before that related to the exodus and the deliverance from bondage. And God wanted these truths to be transgenerational. You remember, that's why Joshua was told in Joshua 4 to set up those stones, um mm. concerning the jordan because at some point your kids are going to ask you hey dad mom what are these stones doing here and here's your chance to transmit values through the generations mm. And very sadly, that didn't happen because Judges 2 talks about a generation that didn't know the Lord. So that's basically what we have today. We have a generation that's grown up around us that doesn't know anything about the Christian roots of America, although the evidence is there for anybody that wants to explore it. Mm. And they're being brainwashed into sort of this idea that America is the great Satan and the great oppressor, colonial oppressor around, uh, around the world, which is all a lie. Yes. And consequently, you know, they see it as their job to dismantle this oppressive state. And the communists, of course, are using them as useful idiots, because to bring <laughs> in a Marxist utopia, you've got to dismantle what exists. So yes. that's where I would put us today in Judges 2, biblically Thank you. speaking.
1: Thank you for bringing that up. That actually, verse 10 is one of the one of the most sobering and <laughs> eye-opening verses in all of Scripture After the success of Joshua, after the elders that outlived Joshua, that were following the Lord God with all their hearts. And then it says in verse 10, after they died off, after Joshua died, it says, All that generation were gathered to their fathers, and another generation rose up after them who did not know the Lord. And the very next verse says, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's interesting, Andy, the parallel we're seeing in America today, isn't it? I mean, we can't just say one generation, but going back to our founders and from the way they established society and the, the first public universities, they were putting out pastors. They were teaching theology, right? Where are they today? In most universities, you can register as one of, what, 60 or 70 gender options. Um, but they once taught theological truth and biblical truth. Their goal was to know Christ, to make him known. What... Right. And now here we are today, the sons of former Americans. <laughs> they do—they have done evil. We are doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So one question I wanted to ask you was uh, in your notes, and thank you for sending me your notes about tomorrow's pastor's point of view. I get a sneak peek that uh, most people don't. Thank you. Um, in Psalm thirty-three, 12, that's one of the verses you mentioned, very, very well-known verse, mm-hmm. I think, especially around the 4th of July or the National Day of Prayer, but what would you say to people who might look at that verse, which says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and say, well, wait a minute, this, this, doesn't that talk about just Israel? We're applying it to America. Could you provide some balance and clarity there?
2: Well, I mean, that is a good point. I mean, the, the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, um, is primarily about Israel, but those... Uh, statements, either the Proverbs 14 verse 34 verse or Psalm 33 verse 12, they show up in a part of the Bible that we call the wisdom literature. Uh, that would be the books of Job, and um, you've got uh, Psalms and Proverbs, and then you've got Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, generally called uh, wisdom the wisdom literature, and most uh, scholars would understand the wisdom literature as, yes, it is addressing Israel, but it would contain within it, you know, trans, um, what we would call trans uh, dispensational principles mm. that you can apply across the board, regardless of what era of history you're living in, Old Testament or New Testament. And these are just principles for life, you know, to help all of God's people um, order their lives properly. So, you know, a lot of us like to quote Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, you know, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. I mean, we don't really understand that as only for Israel. I mm-hmm. mean, that's trans-dispensational. And so that would apply to any child of God, regardless of the era that they're living in, you know, uh, ordering their lives under God. So that's how I'm seeing Psalm thirty three verse twelve, yes, it is about Israel, but mm-hmm. it's really about any country, because it's in the wisdom literature that would put God first, and God will bless that nation.
1: So just before we move on, can we clarify also that jeremiah twenty nine eleven and Second Chronicles 714, one of the most well-known uh, scriptures, that, that they would also be principles that we can apply today in America?
2: Yeah, those are a little more tricky, because those are dealing specifically with the Mosaic Covenant and Israel under the blessings and curses of the Mosaic Covenant, so I'm a little bit more cautious, at okay. least concerning Second Chronicles 7.14. But, but in the wisdom literature, it has a tendency to be more uh, trans-dispensational.
1: Okay, good, thank you. Um, Andy, one of the first points you mentioned, and there are seven of them. Um, America's legal system. Most people don't think, when you think of what made America great, we of course go right to the Bible, but even from Scripture, they had to have a, a legal system. Even in Scripture, we can get that throughout you know, the Old Testament, and you say that was one of the principles that made America great. Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure. I mean, that comes from Sir William Blackstone, you know, who wrote his commentaries on the laws of New England. And these were the most influential legal commentaries used in early America. And he says there, uh, no human laws should be suffered that contradict the laws of nature and the laws of revelation. And so what he's saying there is God has spoken in two sources – Theologians call this general revelation and special revelation. He's spoken in nature, and he's spoken in Scripture. And so the function of being a lawyer in that time period was to craft legislation and develop judicial rulings that cooperated, not violated like we see today, but cooperated with the fixed principles that God himself had established in nature and scripture. And that's why when you go back to early America and what you find in Blackstone's commentaries is homosexuality was illegal. Hmm. And it was actually described in Blackstone's commentaries as a um a violation of uh what's natural. Hmm. Uh, they actually called it a crime against nature. So why would they think that? Well, because they were following what God had said. In general revelation, you know, male and female reproduce, not male and male. And they were following what God said in, you know, you quoted earlier Romans chapter 1. and So they were developing laws in harmony with what God had said. And it's the opposite today, where you have all of these judicial rulings and laws that go against you know, the established principles of God in creation and Scripture. But that's not the way early America thought, and that's not the way Sir William Blackstone thought. And this is one of the reasons God, I believe, decided to bless our country from sea to shining sea.
1: And uh, we've got to take a break, but I would like to quote Sir William Blackstone, which you did and you will be doing in your presentation tomorrow, your pastor's point of view, And also, Pastor Paul Blair of uh, Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, went to the school. The uh, I'm sorry, the the city council meeting because the mayor declared LGBTQ or Pride Month. So Paul Blair quoted William Blackstone. And Mm. if if you guys haven't seen that, it's available online. You can just search for it. Uh, Ten or twelve pastors in Edmond went to this meeting and they signed this declaration that they do not stand with the mayor in declaring this for the whole city. So fascinating. He quoted Blackstone. We're going to learn more about that when we come back with Dr. Andy Woods. Stand up for the truth. The principles that made America great. And the 4th of July is coming up. We can really celebrate our freedom as we should be here in this country more in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth.
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Pastor,
1: Dr. Andy Woods is our guest today. Andy, we um, realize that you are not doing your pastor's point of view tomorrow, which typically you do it every Friday, but because of the long weekend, you will be doing it today. For people that are listening live or are listening to this podcast uh, in the early hours of the day, half, first half of the day, they can watch it. What time will you be doing that?
2: Um, we broadcast it on, on Facebook at Andy Woods Ministries. Um, we do that from 2 to 3 p.m. Central, and then we very quickly upload it onto my YouTube channel. Uh, you can just type in my name into the YouTube search engine and find it, and also to Rumble, and so it's available for people after the fact.
1: And did I did I uh, did you did I miss uh, hearing you say what time?
2: Uh, we do it from two to three p.m. live on Central. Is that Central? Central?
1: Okay, two p.m. Central Time, and they can of course get it on your Facebook page and on YouTube. Have you had any issues with YouTube,
2: by the way, being flagged or warned? Um, I've been able to sort of fly under the radar, fortunately. How on Um, earth?
1: I don't understand that because you tackle every issue that's possibly controversial, I think.
2: Yeah, the worst thing that's happened to me is I put into my show description one time the New World Order and I had some kind of mandatory notification telling everybody that New World Order is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, oh so goodness. I just put New World Order out of the title, and then it disappeared. <laughs> so.
1: Wow, so any believe, Bible-believing Christian that believes that there this is true, this coming New World Order, that's, that's to be frowned upon now, is what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah, they were directing people to a mandatory notification wow. saying it's anti- Semitic, which obviously I'm not, because <laughs> one of the principles that made America great, number seven here, is we decided to be a blessing to Israel yes. early on. But they wanted people to, to think I was, we were anti-Semitic and conspiracy theorists.
1: Wow! So let's go there, uh, unless you wanted to do this more in order. Um, but you just mentioned being pro-Israel. Yeah. We know as Christians how important that is. The, the administration in the White House now, I don't think they do. And I, I think a lot of people, even in the church, they're starting to buy into whether it's replacement theology or they're just not recognizing the importance of standing for Israel. Uh, what, did you, what would you like to share about that as far as uh, making America great and that being one of the principles, principles being pro-Israel?
2: Well, I, have to, I can't leave that one off my list because Genesis 12, verse 3 is really the only foreign policy statement I can find in the Bible for nations to follow. <laughs> and God says it about as clearly as it can be said, you know, I will bless those who bless you, referring to Abraham's descendants, the Jews. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And you go right on through the Bible, and you could see world powers. You know these are nations that covered the the known earth at the time starting to disintegrate the moment they turn their back on Israel and biblically we know that happened to Egypt, Assyria, uh Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome. You know it's interesting uh when you you read the New Testament Rome was a world power and um today Rome is gone. Latin, the language that they promoted, is a dead language, and yet Israel is still in existence, and the Hebrew language is a live language. <laughs> so we better be very careful what we're doing with the nation of Israel. And when you go back to the origins of America, you find George Washington, our acting head, uh, putting us, I think, on the right side of the ledger, and you see this in a letter that he wrote to the congregation of Newport, Rhode Island, August 18th, 1790. Uh, he's writing there to a group of people called the Toro Synagogue. In fact, you can go to Newport, Rhode Island and visit that. It's a museum site. I've been there myself. And it was the first synagogue that ever existed in the United States. Hmm. And what George Washington did there when he was invited to attend one of their worship services is he wrote a letter to them the exact same day, and he says this, "...may the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants, while everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree." and there shall be none to make him afraid, close quote. And that statement there, not only is it filled with references to scripture, but it was a present that he gave to the Jewish people that they've never had before.
1: Wow.
2: Because virtually everywhere they went in what's called the diaspora, you know, in their 2000 years of being pushed into every country that you know, could be, could be named, they were persecuted everywhere they went. And he wrote them this letter and he said, it's not going to be that way here in the United States. You're going to be able to worship the way you want. And you're going to be able to sit under your own, you know, vine and fig tree. And you're not going to be afraid here. And what I believe is God saw that through our acting federal head, you know, the father of our country, George Washington, and God made good on his promise, you know, To bless America, based on Genesis 12, verse 3. And I believe God from heaven reached down and touched this country in a special way and blessed us from sea to shining sea because of this uh, letter that George Washington wrote to the Toro Synagogue.
1: Fascinating, Andy. I didn't realize that. And that's August 18, 1790, for those wanting to look that up. Or you can uh, get uh, Dr. Andy Wood's notes uh, how by the way, how do people get those notes? Uh, they're, on, they're on their mailing list, right? You have a mailing list that you send them out to.
2: Yeah, if if people just go to my website, it's just andywoodsministries.org. dot org. They're on the front page. Um, there's a way to sign up to for the newsletter, and, you know, we send these out. We're starting to send these out weekly. Every time we do a show, people will get these notes, you know, the show notes in their inbox.
1: Excellent. So that's George Washington's letter to the Hebrew Congregation of Newport, Rhode Island in August... Uh, 1790. We said we were going to quote William Blackstone and didn't get around to doing that. I would like to make good on that promise. (laughs) So let's just go back to that quote, Andy, and you can take it wherever you would like after that. Since you brought him up and since Paul Blair quoted him in a a city council meeting, Um, he said, thus, when the supreme being formed the universe and created matter out of nothing, he imposed certain principles upon that matter from which it can never depart, and without which it would cease to be. If we farther advance from mere inactive matter to vegetable and animal life, we shall find them still governed by laws, more numerous indeed, but equally fixed and invariable. Man, considered as a creature, must necessarily be subject to the laws of his Creator, for he is entirely a dependent being no human laws should be suffered to contradict the laws of nature and the law of revelation. Andy, expound on that.
2: Well, you know, you'll notice this expression, uh, fixed principles. You know, there are certain principles that God has ordained. Mm. You know, for example, the law of gravity. Um, That's not open for debate. (laughs) (laughs) The law of gravity works whether you like it or not or believe it or not. And it's true with... um, the revelation of God. You know, God has spoken on certain issues, and there's nothing to negotiate. It's just just the reality of living in his universe. And so Blackstone, in these commentaries, says we're going to come up with laws and judicial rulings that harmonize with the fixed principles of God. And he basically says we don't rule on things where the Creator has said something. Uh, We don't try to overrule God. We're going to cooperate with what God said. And I find this so interesting because these were the key commentaries of early America. Hmm. In fact, I've got some quotes indicating that lawyers in that time period read Blackstone's commentaries the same way, with the same vigor, that Muslims, you know, by way of analogy, you know, read the Quran, Hmm. And that's how valued these were. And, you know, I went to law school myself. And, of course, none of this was taught. Um, I didn't even know what Blackstone's commentaries really were until long after I had graduated. Oh,
1: my goodness.
2: And, you know, the, the function of the legal system today, they call it an evolving document, where they come up with rulings, whether it's trans or homosexual or euthanasia or abortion or whatever, that go directly against what God has spoken. And that's a perversion of the legal system. It's, it's not what it was based on.
1: Wow. Um, I would like to go now to—you um, mentioned uh, John Winthrop in your notes, which you'll be talking about later today and, uh, in your pastor's point of view. And uh, he was born in 1587, lived until 1649, and his writings dominated the New England you know, colonies. And um, y- your next point in these notes on principles that made America a great country were the God-given rights— principle. And boy, Andy, have too, have too many people fallen for our rights come from government, the lie and the deception, right? Could you uh, take us wherever you want to take us in this topic of God-given rights?
2: Well, I mean, it sits right out of the Declaration of Independence, um, the key line being we we, uh, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. And, you know, in that word, unalienable, People might recognize the word lean hmm. uh, if I have a lien, for example, David, on your property, that means you really don't own the property. I own it, and when you sell it, you know I get the proceeds so when it says unalienable, it's talking about rights without a lien on them, in other words, they're completely and totally yours wow. because they were given to you from above, and that's that's one of the unique. <laughs> Uh, aspects of um, the origins of America. In fact, here's a quote from John Adams, America's second president. He says, quote, Rights are antecedent to all earthly government. Rights cannot be repealed or restrained by human laws. Rights are derived from that great legislature of the universe. Oh, love that. Quote. Love that. So when the COVID police come in and shut down your church, well, mm-hmm. they don't have a right to do that because mm-hmm. that right comes to us from God. Wow. Um, When they want to take away our Second Amendment rights, they don't have a right to do that because the right comes from God. And so the function of government, according to our Declaration of Independence, is not to create rights, but it's to secure these rights. It says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And this is the same order, by the way, you see in the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 27, God gave man rights. He said, you're made in my image. And you get into the flood world and you see that those rights weren't protected because it was uh, kind of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, jungle environment where great violence spread out through the world Mm. in the days of Noah, thus necessitating the flood. And so when God brought humanity into the post-flood world, he created government in Genesis 9, verse 6, and he repeats the fact that government exists to protect the idea that we are made in God's image. Hmm. So you'll notice there that when God created government, he didn't give government the ability to create a right. That right already existed, Genesis 1. Government just exists to protect that right or to secure that right. And this is very important to American thinking, because if we ever start to deceive ourselves into thinking that our rights come from the state, you know, what the state giveth, the state can taketh away. Exactly. And so this is a very important principle to maintaining our freedom.
1: Exactly. But the, the problem is we are in a place where it, too many people have already been deceived or confused about this, thinking that rights come from government when you've Plainly, you pointed out, it says, quote, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. What rights? Well, the rights that are endowed by our creator, unalienable rights. I thank you for explaining that. But now here we are, Andy, where a lot of people think, no, well, because probably because they don't believe in the God of the Bible or the Christian Judeo-Christian God. They believe, well, there's no God, so our rights do come from ourselves. So, what do we do now to co- try to, you know, refute this deception that people have already fallen for? Government gives us rights.
2: Well, I, I was reading your article, David, um, that was quoted in what is it, Harbinger or Harbinger's Daily? Yes. Um, and uh, you quoted in there Alexis de Tocqueville. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, who talked about, you know, essentially the pulpits were aflame with righteousness. Hmm. And that's what made America great, according to the Frenchman Alexis de Tocqueville, who came to America and wanted to to see the secret of America's greatness. He talks over and over again in his famous books about, you know, how um, the churches are alive and the pulpits are alive and Christianity is alive and, in fact, this is where the Founding Fathers got their ideas, you know, concerning inalienable rights, because they would go to church on Sunday. Yes. And this is what their preachers, you know, the Black Robe Regiment and all these things, That's what this is what they were talking about. Amen. <laughs> and so I would just challenge my colleagues that are in the ministry— to start talking about this stuff, you know, work it into your teaching. Mm-hmm. This is a great time to do it. Yes. You know, we've got Sunday, uh, 4th of July Sunday, what better opportunity? And just to explain this to people from the Bible, and um, I think if more and more pulpits become aflame with this idea, we can see the, the concept preserved in spite of the, you know, propaganda from the media and the educational system.
1: It's funny you mentioned that. Not funny, but I think uh, uh, perfect, because uh, that's where I got stirred up last year. I went down to Ta- Dallas, Texas, uh, Grapevine, and there was a convention there, or a, a uh, conference with Liberty pastors, and a lot of these men who believe in the Black Road Regiment concept of the pastors have to take a greater responsibility and be more bold with what's happening, not just in our churches, but in the country. Um, you can be a good teacher of sound doctrine, but if you're not addressing the issues that the average American, average Christian is dealing with outside of church walls, uh, they're not equipped if the the leaders are not helping equip them so uh, look up. By the way, we've done a lot of interviews with several of these men of God, these pastors. Look up "black robed regiment" uh, in the search bar at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can look up Dan Fisher, Paul Blair, and, and others. And Andy, thank you for covering everything that you can possibly cover uh, when you preach, because you it's very well grounded, and I think uh, you have a blessed congregation there. Um, We have to take a break in about 15 seconds, but when we come back, we can either finish this up, uh, I'll let you kind of decide the direction here. Uh, One thing I do want to touch on, though, uh, how can you not? Christian education, the importance of that as one of the things that helped make America such a strong nation, that education was started, or or at least reinforced by the pastors. Uh, Let's talk more about that when we come back with Dr. Andy Woods on Stand Up For The Truth.
0: Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: Our guest is Dr. Andy Woods, and we're talking about principles that made America great. I did mention Christian education, and I can do whatever I want on this podcast. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back to, for lack of better terminology, circle back to uh, <laughs> John Winthrop, because I mentioned Winthrop and he was so instrumental in uh, the development of the colonies uh, in the early days. Um, you, go ahead and make that point. And it was fascinating to me, Andy, what you just shared before we got back on air.
2: Yeah, well, I've got a couple of John Winthrop quotes. You know, he lived from 1587 to 1649. And he wrote uh, a little track called A Model of Christian Charity, which people can find in the Winthrop Papers. Mm-hmm. But it's there, he says, and, and this is really the heart and soul of why the country started. He says, for we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. Mm-hmm. Now, where does that come from? Well, if, if folks will read Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 through 16, you know, you'll find... Um, the Lord using that terminology in the Sermon on the Mount. So basically what he's saying is we're we're a city on a hill, we're not part of a new world order, um, and we're here to be an example to the rest of the world. And as long as we follow in that vein, you know, God's hand will be upon us, but the moment we depart from that is the moment we will be a, by, a bygone word mm-hmm. amongst the nations. And then the other Winthrop quote that's so interesting in a tract entitled Reason for Puritan Migration. So in other words, he's explaining why he left the old world to come to the new world and why this migration was happening. He says, quote, it will be a service to the church of great consequence to carry the gospel into these parts and, he says, to raise a bulwark against the kingdom of the Antichrist, which in his day, in other words, the Jesuit, Jesuits labor to rear up in these parts, close quote. Wow. So, so why, why was America established? It was established to carry the gospel to people that didn't know it. And um, it was established, you know, they, everybody thinks they came here to get rich or enslave people or whatever, but he says, no, it's a service to the church. And then he says something almost uh, prophetic. He says, God established America as a bulwark or a defense mm-hmm. against the kingdom of the Antichrist. Amazing. And it is interesting that even today, the nation that makes the one-worlders the most nervous is America. Yes. <laughs> I mean, America, you know, it's almost like our Constitution and Declaration of Independence, when that came into existence, it was almost a set of handcuffs that came upon the One Worlders. I mean, they just can't get their world government going t- as long as a free and independent and prosperous America exists. And so that's why I find it very fascinating that John Winthrop basically was saying in his day. That America exists to stop the kingdom of the Antichrist, mm. and that's exactly what's happened in history. Well, and
1: it's fascinating. We, we had a president just a couple years ago that said America will never be a globalist nation, and he—I mean, he—he he just looked the globalist right in the eye and said, "Come at me." And this is amazing. I—I I read this quote before, Andy, and I just for some reason. I skipped over that part being a bulwark against the kingdom of Antichrist. And uh, we always like to remember the part where he says, carrying the gospel into those parts of the world. And I think one of the early quotes was to advance the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one of the quotes from Winthrop, I believe, as the purpose for America. But I love the fact that it's clear this was one of the things he understood, that we are to be a defense against the kingdom of Antichrist. Fascinating quote.
2: Right, and you, know, the, you see this working its way out in American history. For example, we have in our Constitution, you know, Article 2, Section 2, Paragraph 2, which basically says a president cannot enter into a treaty you know, with a foreign country unless they have a two thirds supermajority in the Senate. In other words, the treaty process is designed to be intentionally difficult. Mm. And you see that in George Washington's Farewell Address, seventeen ninety, where he says it is our true policy to steer clear of permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world, close quote. You know, you have Thomas Jefferson, the the primary author of our Declaration of Independence who said, quote, comparisons of our government with those of Europe are like a comparison of heaven and hell, close quote. (laughs) And what, you know, everybody today is trying to drag us into, you know, whether it's the Iran deal or the Paris Climate Accord or whatever. They just want us to be part of this murky new world order. And America wasn't set up to be part of a new world order. I mean, we were supposed to be a city shining city on a hill as an example you know for the rest of the world and this goes directly against what the globalists want to do is just make us equal with everybody in the world but that's not our genetics that's not our spiritual dna
1: thank god it's not and i think yeah. i think that's why there's so much warfare we're seeing such a level of uh, an intense level of hatred and what's coming against our country today Um, And sadly, a lot of that is coming from within. And I think, Andy, for me personally, that's that's one of the more disappointing uh, truths that it's not people attacking us from the outside and foreign nations. I mean, China and Russia and Iran, they'll do what they will do, but we are still strong militarily for the moment. But the, the attacks from within to want to break down, whether it's the Constitution or our system of capitalism that is most disconcerting, and a lot of that goes back to the education system, doesn't it?
2: Yes, and, you know, this, this shining city on a hill, I mean, that's language you find in John F. Kennedy's speeches. And if people really want to watch a great speech this 4th of July, watch the—and I, I, it's hard for me to get through it without, you know, tearing up, to be mm-hmm. frank with you. It's the farewell speech of Ronald Reagan, you know, when he left office— in 1989. And he quotes Winthrop, you know, about the uh, shining city on a hill. Mm. And of course, this is why the whole world wants to come here. You know, that's why we have a borders crisis, because everybody wants to come to this, this shining city on the hill. It's a special place. I mean, I don't see people lining up to get into, you know, Cuba or Venezuela But boy, the world wants to come here because it's an outworking of what I believe Winthrop spoke, you know, prophetically. You know, America was not going to be part of the New World Order. She was going to be a bulwark against the Antichrist. Yes. And she was going to be an example to the rest of the world.
1: Well, that's a great quote, and I'm going to share that in the podcast notes at standardforthetruth.com. Let's move on now to this important uh, background in history we have in education. I love Abraham Lincoln Um, and one of his quotes, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And, Andy, through the generations, have we seen that, and not in a good way in America, haven't we?
2: Well, you know, I tell you one thing, David, the the left sure understands what Lincoln said. Yes. (laughs) Even though our side doesn't. Yeah. You know, if you control education, you control the future. Yeah uh... in iran you know the school children are reading school books as i speak you know preparing the children for the ayatollahs apocalyptic horrifying military battle against the usa mm. you know it's mandatory reading and our founding fathers understood the power of education um, american education started really public schools started in sixteen forty two with what is called the old Satan-deluder law, and it's fascinating. It hmm. says, quote, It being one chief project, you know, not side project, but chief project, of that old deluder Satan to keep men from a knowledge of the Scripture as in former time. Let me interrupt here myself for a second. What former time? Well, it's historically a reference to before the Protestant Reformation. Interesting before people had the knowledge of the bible because the bible wasn't even translated into the vernacular of the common man and if when people didn't have that knowledge they were just manipulated by the religious hierarchy you know concerning uh you know pay a certain amount of money and get your relatives sprung out of purgatory and all of that they were manipulated because they didn't know the bible right and so they, when they came to America, they said, we're not going to let that happen again. <laughs> and so they they set up mandatory grammar schools. It says here, it is ordered, therefore, that after the Lord hath increased the settlement, they shall appoint within their town to teach all such children to read. They shall set up grammar schools to instruct the youth. So, close quote. So the point was, we got to get these kids literate so they can read the Bible. Amen. And you know, today we think, well, we have got to get our kids uh, educated so they can, you know, become successful in their careers and pick the best stocks and retire early. But I tell you one thing: that was not the mentality of the people that started this country. Mm. We've got to set up public schools. You know, the very public schools where God is kicked out of today. We've got to get. <laughs> we've got to set up public schools to get people literate. So they can read the Bible for themselves, and if we don't do that, we're going to have a recapitulation of the pre-Reformation, you know, dark ages.
1: And what happened in the early 1960s? They <laughs> removed the Bible and voluntary prayer, and uh, really God's law, just take out the Ten Commandments. If you remove the Bible from schools, of course, in that uh, the case that you mentioned in your pastor's point of view, or you will be talking about in detail today. Uh, that case of a school district of Abington Township versus, versus Shemp. That was 1963. But, Andy, really quick, one man you quoted, Yoram Ettinger. I love just this, and I'll let you just take it. We only have two, two and a half minutes left. School textbooks of Western democracies are the most authentic reflection of people's values and worldview. And it goes on, school textbooks. And we know if we are going to be admit here that our textbook publishers have are progressive, they have re-edited our history or edited, and so share your thoughts on this.
2: Well, you know, he was basically testifying. I think the context here is before a congressional hearing and he was trying to show our congressman that Iran is hostile to America. <laughs> And Jom Edinger, one of the proofs he used is here read read what's read what's happening in their own textbooks, and in the process he says, "If you want to know where a country is going, look at how it educates its youth hmm. and if you want to know, and this is what this is the significance of Abraham Lincoln he said the philosophy of the schoolroom." in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. If you want to understand why God blessed America and one of the things that made America great, look at what we taught early on. Uh, look at how our founding fathers were taught to read through what is called the New England Primer, yep. where all of the different areas of the alphabet come after or um, are designed to get people to remember certain things in the Bible. You know, J, you know, Job... You know, disobeyed and felt the rod, and N a reference to Noah, and A a reference to Adam. Uh, Though there was tremendous scriptural literacy when this country started, and this is why God blessed our country. Mm,
1: Amen. Thank you, Andy. I know there's so much more, but I highly encourage you, uh, friends, to uh, go to Andy's pastor's point of view, Andy Woods Ministries. You'll catch it live on Facebook. Is it 2 p.m. Central today? Yeah, 2 p.m. Central. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate every time I just I learn from you, and I, I'm very thankful for your ministry. God bless you, brother. Have a nice Fourth of July. Thank you. Same to you. All right. When we come back, we'll let you know
0: who our guest is tomorrow on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media, Stand Up W.I. on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. The good news is an overwhelming majority of
1: Americans support religious freedom. Uh, The other news is uh, governors and mayors are taking laws into their own hands and declarations, uh, including our own governor here in Wisconsin, who adds for the first of July today, uh, adds a gender neutral option to birth certificates. So this is where birthing people, I guess, the idea of birthing a birthing parent comes from instead of mom or dad. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But Scott Lively is our guest tomorrow, another doctor and uh, pastor. And you can learn more about him by going to StandUpForTheTruth.com. Scott Lively in the search, and we'll talk with him. Um, Some great guests next week as well, but I don't want to jump ahead too far. I know it's a long weekend. Hopefully you'll have a day uh, Monday uh, if you're a worker, if you're off. uh, Enjoy. And, um, yeah, be thankful that we still have the freedoms that we do. We, we have to not take them for granted any longer and fight to resist the enemy, refute the lies, and preserve our freedoms. So thank you again for listening. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.